morning, Revolution. How's everyone doing today? Well, good deal. Well, guys, my name is Kyle Forge, and my family and I have been part of Revolution for 11 years now, and I am excited that you are here today. Now, on a normal Sunday, you would find me back in the next-gen area. I am very passionate about empowering our next generation now by helping them find Jesus and learn to trust in Him. And guys, do not worry. Nathan, our lead pastor, will be back and teaching next Sunday as we wrap up our Lace Em Up series. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really enjoying it. I, it, it has been a fantastic series so far. In week one, Nathan talked about the Velcro shoes and how Velcro shoes are fantastic for little ones, for babies, for toddlers, but big picture, it's really not where they need to be. It's not what's best for them. And in the Bible, it talks about spiritual milk and how spiritual milk is fantastic for those who are starting their faith journey. But as we grow and mature, we don't want to stay on a, a milk diet. We want to dig in deep and discover all that God has for us. And Nathan shared that God has given each and every one of us an invitation to lace them up and to get in the game. And when we, when we accept the invitation to lace them up, we are committing to these five things. To know Jesus, to have a relationship with him, to get involved by using our time, our gifts, our talents, our abilities to serve others around us. It is taking the opportunity to use our influence to speak life to people who are around us. It is making Jesus known and inviting others to jump in and lace them up as well. And then last week, Noah, our youth pastor, he talked about the work boots. And he talked about how we can persevere and continue to lace them up even when we're tired and weary and worn out. And one of my favorite lines from his talk was, stop being a dingus, Jesus loves you. If you missed it, I highly recommend, go back and check it out. It was a fantastic talk. And remember, stop being a dingus, Jesus loves you. And this week, we are going to be talking about the counterfeit shoes. Now, you know that these are good Air Jordans when the Nike swoosh goes all the way around. Those are the prime ones. Now, I have to admit, I am the furthest thing from a sneakerhead. I, I mean, the furthest thing from it. As I go shopping for shoes, I'm normally looking for two things. I'm looking for comfort and value. And I have worn a size 14 shoe since the time I was about 13 or 14 years old. In pre-internet online shopping, I was very lucky to walk into a shoe store and have more than two options available to me. And normally one of them was all white. So really, I just had one. And so it's kind of mind-blowing to me how serious people take their sneakers. In week one, Nathan talked about the most expensive pair of shoes that ever sold. It, they were Michael Jordan's game-worn 1998 NBA final shoes. He wore them, he autographed them, they won the game in the championship, and he handed them off to a ball boy. Years later, those shoes sold at auction for $2.2 million. That is mind-blowing money to me, and I can't wrap my head around it. But as I began to research the sneaker market, I didn't realize, but in 2021, the global sneaker market was valued at $131.1 billion. So sneakers are big business and have become a status symbol. 
they have become super collectible and people are willing to pay way over retail to get the shoes they want. People go nuts for Yeezys, Jordans, and even Travis Scott's. And as I was doing research, I found out there's a whole group of people who will take jobs at footwear stores just so that they have first dibs at the shoes that come in. They'll, they'll handpick the, the hot items, they'll buy them at full retail cost, and then take them to the resale market where they can take a $300 pair of shoes and flip it for $1,200 plus real quick, real easy. And as the resale market has grown exponentially, so has counterfeit production. According to The Economist, 20% of all counterfeit goods sold worldwide are footwear. So what that means for the sneaker market is there are a whole bunch of high quality knockoffs that have infiltrated. And it's become such a problem that there are entire YouTube channels and TikTok accounts that are all about shoe authentication. And one of the best in the business is a gal that works for eBay. She's part of their authentication team and they will send her to SneakerCon or when they have really high dollar shoes sell on their website, she's one of the people who gets her hands on it to check out and see if it is the real deal or not. So I want you guys to check out how good she is at what she does. What I think is incredible, she had those shoes in her hands less than 30 seconds. And not only was she able to call out that they were knockoffs, she had multiple reasons why. It is incredible. But what, what I found online is because counterfeits are such a huge problem within the sneaker market, there are so many people who bought a pair that, for a great price. And they had every intention of taking those shoes, throwing them, going to sneaker con or throwing them online on one of the resellers and reaping a benefit, selling it, making a quick profit, only to find out when they go to sell them that their shoes aren't authentic. They don't pass inspection. And instead of reaping that reward that they're looking for, they're left with a fake pair of shoes. And so as we are in week three of our Lay Some Up series, we are talking about what it means to accept God's invitation to lay some up and get in the game. How we can take next steps to be growing in our faith. But if we're honest, we've all seen some counterfeit faith. People who, who profess to be a Christian, they say that they believe in Jesus, but when you look at the fruit of their lives, you realize that, that how they act, what they say, or how they treat others, it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't pass authentication. And we call this hypocrisy. It is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behaviors do not conform. And we've all experienced it. And, and, and we all hate it. It is no fun. And I bet for some of you, when you heard the word hypocrisy, you immediately went to a person or to a situation and it still puts a bad taste in your mouth. Hypocrisy is not something that we easily forget. 
And just like we're not okay with hypocrisy in our own lives and in the lives of those in whom we love, Jesus was not okay with it either. In fact, he had a few might drop interactions with different people who professed to love God, but the way they lived out their life and the way they led others did not show it. So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna take a look at Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus is talking to a group of teachers of the law and Pharisees. These were the religious leaders. And the Pharisees in particular, by the time they were 12 years old, they had memorized the first 12 books of the Bible. By the time they were 15, they would have had the entire Old Testament memorized. That's pretty big. But in the understanding of God's word, even though in the eyes of others, they were known as experts in God's law, they were still missing it. They did not have authentic faith. So let's check out what Jesus said. Chapter 23, starting in verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So this is not taking place behind closed doors. This is happening in front of a large group of people that are following Jesus. And it is happening in a very, very public way. And then he says, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses's seat. He's acknowledging that these people are experts in God's law. But then he says, so you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And this was the beginning of seven times that Jesus called them out for their hypocrisy. And we're gonna take a look at a, at a couple of them today. The first one, Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying. So many of these different religious leaders, rather than focusing everything they did on helping people to connect with God and grow in their faith, they were adding extra, extra rules and regulations that they, and rather than putting Jesus or putting God at the forefront and, and helping him to be the one that they sought after, they really liked the attention. And there were times that they would lord their power and their authority over others. So instead of them leading people to Jesus, they were leading people to themselves, which always falls short. His next rebuke was, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Well, that's harsh. That's a bit harsh. And I bet that made the Pharisees' blood boil. Those are fighting words. But what Jesus knew and understood is that a counterfeit cannot reproduce something authentic. As it reproduces, as it makes a disciple or a convert, it'll go from counterfeit to a counterfeit to a counterfeit. And this broke God's heart. It broke Jesus's heart. And then we're gonna skip down to a third rebuke. Starting in verse 27, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's quite the word picture. And what we see is that Jesus had zero tolerance for counterfeit faith. 
no matter how good it looked on the outside, no matter how good it looked to those around them. Because he understood, Jesus understood that counterfeit faith will not take you where you want to go. It doesn't lead you to life and joy, fulfillment. It doesn't lead you to a relationship with God in heaven. It leads you to death and destruction. And he may have seemed overly harsh as he called out these religious leaders, but we have to remember who he was. Jesus was the promised rescuer and Messiah. He had been sent from God to come and break the curse of sin. He was giving us an example of what it meant to truly love God and love others in all that he did, in the big things and the little. And that was his mission, was to help people to find relationship with God again. So as he saw the counterfeit, as he saw leaders leading people astray, he put his foot down. And so what I'd like for us to do today is I would like for us to have a DTR with Jesus. Have any of you guys ever had a, a DTR, a, a define the relationship moment? I, many of you probably had it as you were getting more and more serious with a significant other. And guys, I'll be honest, these conversations are not fun. We men, we try to avoid them like the plague. We'll call in sick, we'll cut off our own foot. We'll do anything we can to try to avoid these. They're odd, they can be uncomfortable, but the beautiful thing about uh, defining the relationship conversation is it can help us to get on the same page, to understand, do we have the same expectations? Are we headed in the same direction? And in the case of our relationship with Jesus, it can give us clarity and direction on what we need to be doing in order to have God-honoring faith. Now, before we dive into this, if you are here today and you are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what you believe about him, this conversation may not be for you. You may not be ready for this yet, and that is okay. But it is my hope that as we talk about what God-honoring authentic faith is, that it helps you to understand what God is calling you to as he offers the invitation for you to lace them up and get in the game. But this DTR is for each and every one of us in this room who would consider ourselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It's not for you and the, it's not the person next to you in Jesus, but you in Jesus. We're gonna look inward. I want us to really wrestle with it because it is my heart, it is my prayer as I've been prepping this that this message will help us to have that God-honoring faith that leads us to life, to joy, to wholeness, that leads us to our incredible Savior. So, as ready to jump in? <laughs> I get it. It's not the easiest conversation to have. But as we are trying to assess what authentic faith looks like, here are some common gauges that people use to try to figure out if their faith is legit or not. They focus in on biblical knowledge, their religious heritage, completing a religious checklist, or comparing ourselves to others. But in my opinion, each and every one of these falls short. With biblical knowledge, we saw that the Pharisees had plenty of that. They knew God's word, yet they still were coming up short. Their faith did not pass off the come across as authentic. Religious heritage is beautiful, but your grandpa's faith or your mama's faith does not equate to yours. And following a religious checklist is great. This is what we call spiritual disciplines. 
It's things like reading our Bible, praying, fasting, giving, serving. They are all great tools that help us to take next steps in our relationship with Jesus. But doing things alone is not enough for us to enter into heaven. It's not enough for us to have authentic faith. And anytime that we compare ourselves to others, we miss it. We miss it from the word go. You have not been called to be like me or to follow after me. I'll do my best to lead you right, but I'm screwed up too. There's plenty of areas where I am falling short. And if you simply follow me, it's the wrong target. We are called to follow and become more and more like Jesus and Jesus alone. So anyone or anything that we put in that place will not lead you to where you want to go. And this is where I was at a few years ago. Um, God, I, I was very dissatisfied and feeling very empty in regards to my faith. And so as I was trying to figure out what was going on, what I needed to do, God convicted me and gave me a gut check. And he called me out that my faith was not authentic. It was like the Pharisees, the whitewashed tomb. It looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it was dead and empty and full of everything unclean. And I come from an incredible religious heritage. My grandparents loved Jesus and served at their churches. And my parents did the same thing. And I grew up to where I was at church every single Sunday. And I was constantly growing in my knowledge, my my biblical knowledge. And when I graduated high school, I went to seminary and spent four years training to be a pastor. So we were studying God's word and digging into Greek and Hebrew and learning what it means to be a good shepherd. But when I graduated, instead of leaving fired up and ready to lace them up and get in the game, I graduated exhausted, broken, burned out, and for the next few years, rather than digging deeper into my faith and persevering, like Noah talked about last week, I was simply content to rely on the knowledge and the experiences that I had had in the past. And God called me out on that because I wasn't growing in my relationship with him. And the way that I would justify it is I'd be like, hey God, but, but look, look, I, I'm doing these things for you. I am serving, I am giving, I am showing up. And what God gave me a gut check on is I was equating doing for God with being with God, being in relationship with him. But doing for God does not replace having a relationship. And then I would look at other people and be like, well, compared to so-and-so, I'm doing pretty darn good. But at the end of it, God helped me to realize that I was off target, that I was a counterfeit. And so I began my journey to figure out what does it truly mean to have authentic faith? And one of the resources that I use that really helped me to get back on track to understand what God honoring authentic faith is, is Kyle Eidemann's book called Not a Fan. If you have not read it, I highly encourage you, take a picture of that, look it up on Amazon. It is a fantastic book. And what I love about it is in this book, he is talking about the difference of being a fan of Jesus versus a committed follower of him. And this is how he introduces the idea of being a fan of Jesus. It may not seem that there are many followers of Jesus, but if they were honestly to define the relationship they have with him, I am not sure it would be accurate to describe them as followers. It seems that there is a more suitable word to describe them. They are not followers of Jesus, they are fans of Jesus. 
And here is the most basic definition of fan in the dictionary. An enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy who goes to the football game with no shirt on and a painted chest. He sits in the stands and cheers for his team. And he's got a signed jersey hanging on his wall at home and multiple bumper stickers on the back of his car. But he's never in the game. He never breaks a sweat or takes a hard hit in the open field. He knows all about the players and can rattle off their latest stats, but he does not know the players. He yells and cheers, but nothing is really required of him. There is no sacrifice that he has to make. And the truth is, as excited as he seems, if the team he is cheering for starts to let him down and has a few off seasons, his passion will wane pretty quickly. And after several losing seasons, you can expect him to jump off the fan wagon and begin cheering for some other team. He is an enthusiastic admirer. Are there any Colts fans that can relate to that? I have high hopes that we're gonna turn it around this year, but I don't know, we've had a few of those down ones. And I love that he defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. Fans of Jesus are people who respect him. They often know who Jesus is, what he did, and what he accomplished as he died on the cross. They may even know the highlight reel of some of his best teachings. They have plenty of knowledge, but they don't accept the invitation to lace them up and get in the game. Kyle Eidemann continues, my concern is that many of the churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to being stadiums. And every week, all of the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in actually, sorry, aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be as close to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. So as we are having this DTR, this define the relationship moment, we must ask ourselves, am I simply a fan? Am I an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus? Do I show up to the game every Sunday? I get excited, I get pumped up, but when I leave, I, I don't take the truth of what we've talked about with me? Are we that enthusiastic admirer who, who on the outside is diehard and passionate, but we aren't willing to, to lace them up because of the sacrifice that we know it will require of us? So where are you? Where do you stand? I know that I don't want to be a fan, and most of you don't either. We've experienced God's goodness firsthand. We have seen his faithfulness in our lives and we want to be more than an, an enthusiastic admirer. So what I want us to do for the rest of the time that we have, we are gonna take a look at two of the foundational pieces that we must have in order to have God honoring authentic faith. The first is to believe and the second is to follow. So the first step to God honoring faith is to believe in Jesus. It is us making a decision in our mind to believe that Jesus really is who he said he is. That he was the promised rescuer and redeemer whom God sent to break the curse of sin. And that being fully God and fully man, he came and lived in this world. He walked the earth and he lived a perfect and sinless life. 
He taught us through his example and his teachings what it really meant to follow God, to love him, and to love others. And ultimately, he died on the cross. Even though he had done nothing wrong, he was crucified. And through his death and resurrection, when we put our faith and our trust in him, when we choose to believe, we are able to receive God's incredible gift of grace. And that grace changes everything. God's grace comes in and we are able to be forgiven of all of our sins. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made brand new and welcomed in as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It opens up the door for us to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. And the way, what most churches will do when someone chooses to put their faith in Jesus, to truly believe in him, the church will encourage a person to take a next step of praying, of starting a relationship with God. And in this prayer, oftentimes it is thanking God for keeping his promise and sending Jesus to be our rescuer. It's acknowledging that we have sinned, that we are broken and we are in desperate need of forgiveness. And as we repent and ask God to forgive us, he is faithful to meet us in that moment. And we are able to receive that incredible gift of grace that will change your life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talk a little bit about what this is. Verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you put your faith in Jesus. And you cannot take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. God's grace, simply put, is undeserved favor. So God saved you by his undeserved favor when you believed and you cannot take credit for this. You cannot earn this. It's not a matter of doing enough good deeds in order to be able to receive God's grace. You don't have to hit level 40 in your walk with the Lord in order for his grace to become available. It is scandalous. It is open to any and all who believe. For the people who are caught up in sin, the people who are bound by addiction, those who have their lives put together, those who are lonely and depressed, any and all who call on the name of the Lord, who make that decision to believe, can receive God's incredible gift of grace. But far too often, someone praying this prayer is where their faith journey ends. They figure, I have arrived, I've done enough, it's good enough. But when we look at what Jesus taught in the Gospels, five times he says, believe in me, but over 20 times, he then extends the invitation to follow. These two things are not supposed to be taught apart, but believing and following are supposed to go hand in hand in order for us to have God-honoring and authentic faith. And everyone who saw Jesus, they knew that he was different. And I imagine that if we were walking and we were on earth at the same time that Jesus was, when we looked into his eyes, we would have seen true joy, peace, contentment, wholeness. When Jesus taught about God, he wasn't just sharing facts. He spoke as though he knew God personally. And incredible miracles and the power of God moved through him as people were healed, forgiven, redeemed, restored in the most incredible and awesome way. All the people who would have seen him firsthand knew that he was from God. And many of them even decided to believe that he was the promised rescuer and redeemer. But Jesus wanted more for them than to just believe. He invited them 
to follow. Now, one of the main reasons that our churches can become a fan factory is far too often we do separate the message of believe from the call to follow. But these truly are meant to go hand in hand. And God-honoring faith answers that call to lace them up and to follow after Jesus. Now, 2,000 years ago, this looked way different. Jesus was on the earth and we could drop everything that we were doing and go and be with him. We could travel around the countryside. We could have a front row seat to see how he loved God and loved others. We could have heard his teachings with our own ears and learned from his example. But today in 2023, Jesus isn't walking the earth, but we are still called and commanded to follow after him. And that command and invitation is just as real as it was for those who saw Jesus with their own eyes. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, an early church leader, tells us how we can follow after him today. He tells us that we are to be an imitator of God. So Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Have any of your guys' kids ever, I've seen it back there, so I shouldn't have to ask, but, but have any of your kids ever played the copycat game? And it can be a bit obnoxious at times, but ultimately that's kind of what we are called to do. We are called to mimic, to copycat what Jesus did, to imitate him, to be that copycat and to follow his example. Forgive me, I've lost my place. I really like the way that the message puts this verse. The message says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Now, even though Jesus is not here walking this earth, we have been given an incredible resource that helps us to do this. It's the Bible. It's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels or the Good News. And in this, we find the example of Jesus. We get to see how he lived his life. And as we learn, as we observe from his teachings, his example, how he loved, how he treated, we are called to mimic that, to be a copycat, to let our lives reflect him as we become more and more like him. And what I love about the gospels is we get to see how he had a relationship with God. We get to see how he loved others and he always was declaring the message that you matter to the most high God. He met people where they were and he empowered them to lace them up and follow after God. And so as we discover Jesus, our lives should reflect his. And every step we take in the faith journey should help us to become more and more like Jesus. Following Jesus is spending time getting to know our God and growing in our faith. It is getting involved in the mission of the church, of helping people find Jesus and learn to live like him. It is spending time in community, not just on a Sunday morning, but doing life together. 
in spending, connecting, and serving one another. It is taking the incredible message that everyone, every soul on this earth matters to God and taking the truth of that with us as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to our kids' sporting events. In everything we do, it is striving to be an example of Jesus. And following Jesus will change your life. But at the very core, at the very center of following after Jesus, we have to submit ourselves to him. Imagine playing a game of follow the leader. Does, does it work if we're following the wrong person? But far too often, rather than us following after God, we follow ourselves. We live by my will be done instead of God's will be done. And this is what our culture teaches us. Our culture is constantly telling us, if it makes you happy, do it. Crown yourself the king or the queen of your life and you do you. You go and do whatever you want. But when I have followed that advice, when I have crowned myself king, I have almost every single time found myself caught up in sin and hurting those around me. Instead of finding fulfillment in life, I'm left empty and lost. And submission is a very scary word. Our knee-jerk reaction is to fight against it. We want control. We want things to be done our way on our time schedule without messing with our comfort. We don't want anything to interfere with our way. But the hard truth is that there is no way to follow Jesus without him interfering in your life. There is no way to follow him without him interfering in your life. Kyle Eidemann shares, fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work but Jesus wants a complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking a tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans think a little decorating is required, but Jesus wants a complete remodel. Fans want Jesus to inspire him, them, but Jesus wants to interfere with your life. Now guys, what makes submission possible is who our God is. We, our God is not a tyrant, but he is a God who loves us in a great, great big way. He is the God who created the universe and he's also the God who put you together in your mother's womb. He's a God who not only knows your name, but he knows you. He knows your heart, your passions. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many tears you have cried. He is the God that does not abandon us in the midst of our sin, but instead he lovingly pursues us. And guys, we can trust our good God to lead us to life and fulfillment. The way that I've taught my kids about submission is that when we make a decision to believe in Jesus, we are making a commitment to follow Jesus as our king. We no longer serve ourselves, we serve the king. And Jesus is the good and wise king. He doesn't lead us to death and destruction and he knows the best way to live. When we follow our king, he leads us to life, to joy, to peace, to wholeness. He leads us to a relationship with God and ultimately to heaven where we will spend eternity with him. And we are called to obey our king's commands, all of our king's rules and commands. 
The last commandment that Jesus gave before he went back up to heaven was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says, and know that I am with you always, even to the very end. What, what he's saying is, I want you to be a follower who goes and makes more followers, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. But you don't have to do it alone. I am with you. I will help you along that journey. And guys, following all of God's rules and commands, it's not easy. The commands may not make sense to us, but we must remember that God's wisdom exceeds our own wisdom. And his way will lead us to life and freedom. In James, the brother of Jesus, he gives us a challenge. He says, do not just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. We must obey. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and do not obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you do not forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Authentic faith, following after Jesus, submitting ourselves to him as the king of our lives will lead us where we want to go. It'll lead you to renewal. It'll lead you to life, to peace, to joy, to love, to wholeness, contentment. So guys, as we wrap up today, as we wrap up this DTR, we have to get real with ourselves. Where do you stand? As we've talked about what counterfeit faith looks like and what authentic faith is, where, where does your faith fall? Are you an enthusiastic admirer of our God? Or have you accepted the invitation to lace them up and get in the game? to choose on a daily basis to follow after him and to commit ourselves to him as the king of our lives. And I can't answer those questions for you. And I hope you don't take it lightly. I hope you wrestle with this. And as you do, and as you talk with God, I know that he will be faithful to show you what your next step is, how you can take that next step to following him, to obeying him, to having that authentic, life-giving faith. So as we wrap up, I wanna pray for you. The band is gonna play. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now to say thank you for being so full of mercy and grace. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be our savior and showing us the, the way to live, the way to have authentic faith that honors you, that connects with you. And Father God, may you soften our hearts so that we're able to truly be real with you and to be real with where we are in our faith journey. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you and we ask you to have your will and your way in our lives. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen.